We arrive here today to debate at social distances from each other. There's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Hello and you're very welcome to Your Politics podcast from RTE News. I'm Paul Cunningham. Joining me in studio today is Mary Regan of our political staff and our political guest is going to be Mairead Farrell of Sinn Féin. Um, Mairead, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks a million for having me on. Um, you're one of those new TDs, but you've had something of a meteoric rise and you're on the front bench leading to the Irish Examiner, I think it was, saying one of the top 10 TDs to watch out for. What's that all been like? Well, I suppose um, it's all been involved within COVID. So I suppose when I first um, got elected, it really was only a few weeks that we were up here and then um, we were back kind of everyone was working from home and that kind of thing. So it gave me a kind of a good lead in period whereby I was at home doing a lot of the constituency kind of work that I would be used to from the council and before then coming up for more kind of in a more permanent way. And so in that sense, it was good. But what I really find good about um, the Sinn Féin team is that we're really a team. So I've always have somebody that I can ask if I'm not sure what I'm doing or if I need help with something. And, you know, TDs that have been there for a longer period of time brought me in when I first came in and made sure I kind of understood the ropes and all that. Yeah. And so in that sense, you know, I always feel like I'm very much part of a 37 member team, which is which is really good and really supportive. Yeah, I suppose it does seem at times to be quite a collegiate place, not just limited to sort of one party, but when it comes to legislation and maybe when the cameras are, are off, people are sort of working together for the better uh, of all, everyone. Yeah, I think we're always trying to make sure that like the you know the best legislation possible for people does get passed and you really see that at committees as well I find like you end up kind of getting to know better the people from other parties that are on the committees with you and you kind of learn who kind of would have similar views as you in different in different areas and then that way you kind of build and you try and develop and then at committee stage I suppose of legislation when it comes through the committees you know everyone's kind of just really working together um on that so I do think there is that element as well but I do think it really helps being part of a, of a team yeah. um, and it really helps having that support especially because you can really go to those people then and say look I'm struggling on this or I'm you know concerned about this and, and, and people will help you. Um, you are um, the representative for Sinn Féin on the question of public expenditure now just doing a, a, a 60 second search there before you came in I see that you have a master's in finance you also worked in finance so it isn't exactly new to you. Yeah, exactly. So I would have studied economics and history for my degree and then I did a master's in finance, in risk management and financial regulation to be specific. And then I worked in banking, so I would have worked in derivatives and that. So I, I actually really love that work, to be honest. Um, so, it, you know, at least this is something that I have an interest in anyway. I have a background in anyway. Um, but I think when you have that interest, um, it really helps for you to learn. Obviously, there's always so much to learn and, it can, you know, there can be nearly so much on your plate to try and learn. But, you know, when you do have an interest, that really does help you. Yeah, we're going to ask you um, about the measures that the government is bringing in on the question of how to support the hospitality sector, given the new restrictions. But you just mentioned the word derivatives there. Most people only know derivatives from the sense of the crash and things going bad. What was your experience of dealing in derivatives? Well, I suppose w what I was doing was I was um, kind of working through like settling derivatives um, trades and that and looking at the collateral behind it and, and those kind of things. So I would have worked in different um, 
parts of it um, in different jobs. Uh, but I suppose, look, I, th- I always found it very interesting because it can be so complex. So you can, sometimes when you're looking at the agreement, say, of the derivatives, you have to look at, like, you know, the flow, where the money flows, uh, which is kind of really the concept then behind it to make sure everything adds up. Um, and I, I always just found that really fascinating because you could you could learn so much um, on any given day, really, about it. And then I kind of would have looked at, I did one of those um, Institute of Banking uh, courses in, um, in derivatives as well. So that helped as well. So I always found that quite interesting. Um, now, of course, I'm out of that <laughs> world. So <laughs> not doing a sideline or anything. <laughs> no, no. So I, um, you know, I probably forget it all, but I'm sure it will uh, would all come back to me quite okay. quickly. But I always found it very interesting. I have to say. What do you make of um, what uh, Michael McGrath has been saying today, along with his um, partner, the finance minister uh, Pascal Dunne, who on the question of trying to get money as quickly as possible to businesses, they had hoped to introduce targeted measures. They've decided that the e-wiz um, and retaining it at the November rate was the better way of working, primarily because it gets cash to those who need it faster. Well, what I suppose what I would say is that. Um, you know, I welcome that he's. They're saying that now, but we had been saying that last week, um, and uh, the sector had been saying that last week. So the sector were very clear um, that they needed the rates to remain at the November levels. Like it's good that they've that they've agreed to this now, but there was that uncertainty um, over the weekend for people, uh, for businesses, for people who are working um, in the sector. So that I, I I don't really understand how you can cut something on a Wednesday, go then on a Friday, and announce new restrictions that are that are going to impact the sector and affect the sector I I don't really understand the rationale or the forward planning in that but um, so I think it's good that they've agreed to that now the other thing is and and they've been saying so the minister seems to have said that he wanted to bring in Chris in a more targeted way um, and we've been really talking about this whole you know thing of making sure you're targeted in your approach for the last 16 months uh, 14 or 16 months uh, my colleague Pierce Dardy had brought forward a an amendment um, at the time saying that we need to be looking at this kind of a targeted approach. So what I'm kind of astounded by, to be honest, at this stage is that they still don't really know um, what they want to change to make it more targeted. So I think that's something that they urgently need to look at. But I'm just surprised that it just seems like they're on the back foot again. And I thought that at this stage, when we're two years into it, that that would have changed. So, but are, are you disagreeing with the measures? Oh no! So we had been saying uh, last week very clearly that they needed to keep them even before the new restrictions came in. We had said they shouldn't cut the EWSS on the first of December. So as we know, those cuts came in on the first of December. We said no, they shouldn't do that. They should leave them at the November rates, and that's what the hospitality sector were saying as well. But wouldn't that be the right thing to do? You know, bring in the measure, then um, assess whether it's going to work. Assess if you have other options. If you don't have other options, then re- reverse it. I think the thing to do is probably when you're going to make an announcement in terms of restrictions on a Friday, don't cut the supports on a Wednesday when you're not sure what um, you're going to bring in as an alternative. And then it shows the following week that actually what you had thought about bringing in as an alternative uh, wasn't going to be workable at that point. So I think that probably the easiest thing for them to have done was said, OK, until at least the end of the year, if you're not sure exactly what's going to happen with the Omicron um, variant and that, take a look at it and say, OK, um, we're going to keep it as it is for this week or for the next few weeks to see what we're going to do as an alternative rather than announcing cuts, then announcing restrictions, announcing a new scheme, then saying, oh, no, we can't do that scheme. So now we're going to look at bringing, sticking with what we had. You um, represent Galway. How are things in Galway, um, not just given the Delta variant, but the possibility or may- probability indeed of the Omicron variant uh, sort of moving its way through the population? 
Well, the first thing I would say is that anybody listening should visit Galway. Galway is fantastic. <laughs> and it's here, a lovely here. place no to No objections visit. from Mary Regan. <laughs> Mary Regan will understand completely what I'm saying. And we have an absolutely beautiful Christmas market. So if anybody's interested in Christmas, it's definitely the place to go. But look, I think like everywhere, everyone, I think everyone's just so worried with this variant because the last thing any of us want to have to do is be self-isolating in our rooms on Christmas Day, you know. Um, and obviously then, obviously health impacts as well. But one thing we had really big now this week in Galway was the ish, whole issue of exams in third level institutions. So in NUI Galway, there was huge concern that there hadn't been the um, enough social distancing and that. And even today, I've, I've heard of an invigilator who actually um, has contracted the virus now. Um, so look, it is an issue of concern for everyone uh, in Galway and across uh, across the West and, uh, you know, across the state, obviously. Do you think there's anything additional the government could do or is it just a question of time before um, this variant uh, moves around? Well, I think that... I'm thinking like of travel restrictions, I'm thinking of lockdowns, I'm thinking of those types of measures. Well, look, I think what is very clear, there was a few things, right? So obviously... testing and tracing are really important as they always told us from the very beginning so the fact that they took the contract tracing out of schools was clearly a you know a, a mistake um there's also the whole issue of antigen testing being widely and freely available so my mother's from berlin and in berlin like you couldn't walk the length of the street without coming across a place that you can get a free antigen test and i do think that if people had that um available to them people would be checking so if you had if you sneezed you'd be going do you know what i might just quickly check just in case uh, things like that I think really um, should have been brought in earlier uh, and like really should have been brought in earlier. The other thing is something that I always think is really important to mention and is often lost in this discussion, but the whole concept of the TRIPS waiver. I mean, it's ridiculous that we have a situation whereby developing countries don't have the same access to um, to vaccines. And then obviously we see in naturally the... Um, the variant um, or the different variants coming up. Like if we want to be serious about tackling this virus then we need to make sure that anyone who wants to have um, access to that vaccine has the ability to have access to the vaccine. It can't be a situation where, you know, it's, you know, wealthy countries have it and then the developing countries don't. The Taoiseach Michael Martin says um, that's just, you know, you're just using a soundbite there, that the EU is committed to ensuring that the um, virus uh, is challenged by vaccines across the world, that the EU has given more than any other sort of um, political entity and the EU will continue to do so. Well, look, I mean, well, we I definitely don't think it's a soundbite because, look, let's look at the reality of it. We're seeing different variants emerge and we're seeing that lots of areas are struggling um, without having the access to vaccine. And the whole thing of the patent that, um, that developing countries would be able to produce um, the vaccine uh, themselves, um, uh, like, you know, that'll be at a lower cost than that. Look, I think the reality is we need to be, this isn't about even, you know, having political arguments about it. It's just about being absolutely practical here. If, you know, if if everyone has access, you know, everyone should have access to the vaccine that is looking to have access to the vaccine. Um, I'm very conscious that you're uh, under the gun insofar as that you have a motion before the Doyle very shortly. Can I just ask you one last question? Um, in committee, uh, before the Good Friday committee, some of the families of the disappeared came in and they felt that um, while progress had been made, that possibly um, Sinn Féin could do more to assist them in their struggle. What response would you have to that contention? Well, look, first of all, I'd be very honest. I have um, 
you know, uh, complete empathy with everyone who's lost somebody um, in, in in the conflict. Uh, I think, you know, we ha- really have to look at the even the intergenerational impact that that does have. Um, I didn't see that committee, so I'm not 100% sure. I think that was just on before I came into this, so I haven't seen it. But of course, um, we in Sinn Féin will always be willing to engage for everyone who's looking for um, truth, absolutely. Mairead Farrell of Sinn Féin, thank you very much for joining us and um, we'll talk to you again, no doubt. Thank you. Mary Regan of our political staff. Um, once again, we have been focused on business supports, mm-hmm. um, but no sooner do does one problem seem to be solved with a government announcement, then the next question comes up, well, what could be on the horizon with COVID? What could be coming down the road with regard to restrictions? What's on your radar? Mm, and I think it's the one question on everyone's lips, isn't it? Everyone just wants to know if this is it or if there will be more restrictions coming our way before Christmas. I think on balance now, it seems unlikely, even though you'd be foolhardy to predict that. But we've had a couple of, I wouldn't quite say uh, our old dear mixed messages, but certainly ministers, the Taoiseach and the Tánishtha, giving their assessment of it. And of course, it is very hard for them to give their assessment because the situation is changing all the time. Uh, Just uh, a short while ago, the, the Taoiseach was saying that he thinks further restrictions this side of Christmas are not the direction of travel. He says it's 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 not something that, you know, he thinks is likely at this stage, although he couldn't commit. Uh, that's slightly different to what the Tánish Dili of Radker has been saying, that um, he, he was saying that they're operating on the basis that restrictions will be in place until at least January 9th. So maybe you know, leaving open the possibility that they'll be in place beyond then, because he says generally with the experiences of the pandemic, when restrictions are imposed, they tend to be extended, not reversed sooner than the date designated. And everyone will have memories of last year when uh, restrictions that, you know, were due to be lifted earlier, you know, after Christmas stayed in place till March. Some of them kept going until May. Now, it is a very difficult or different situation this time because of the vaccination. And then we had Minister Michael McGrath on the week in politics on Sunday giving quite an upbeat assessment saying that if the Omicron variant is um, more benign than what had been feared, then the measures could be removed, as he put it, quite quickly. So I think next week really is where everything is focused on because that is the point where they're expecting to have more information about this new uh, variant, the effect it will have. And, you know, some people will be looking to what's happening in the UK where it's predicted that this is now becoming very widespread and spread and transmissible variant. That is the concern. But I think it's not until next week where we'll really have a clearer picture on where things are going. Because as you say, it is important that date because it brings us back into nearly where we were 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. We were waiting for NEFID advice. Does the government accept that advice or not? And then what do they do about visitors, um, Irish people living in places like the UK, which is usually ahead of the curve when it comes to transmission and when they want to come home? Yeah, and that's such a tricky one, the one around Christmas time. And you might remember last year, the height of concerns around the Delta variant was when they brought down um, the barriers and restrictions from the UK. That was really difficult one for for a lot of people coming home from the UK for Christmas. But the Taoiseach was saying that it's intended that we will be aligned with the rest of Europe when it comes to travel restrictions. Another, you know, issue coming down the track. We heard um, earlier uh, Emmanuel Macron saying that he thinks the COVID 
uh, the, the, the digital COVID cert that's needed around the EU for travel should not continue beyond the 15th of January 2022 for people who don't have their booster. So he's putting a deadline there saying the booster should be required for EU travel. The Department of Health here is saying that the EU digital COVID cert for booster vaccines are not currently being issued here. So so, so that is, I think, a potential issue that's awaiting the new year and a discussion that will be had between all EU leaders. Yeah, because if you have your COVID cert and you've loaded it up onto your COVID app mm-hmm. when you're going into places, that still records <coughs> when you got your first vaccinations mm-hmm. rather than your booster. Mm-hmm. So if you had tried to use that certificate going to France, and some new rule came in, well, you'd just be turned back. Exactly. And, you know, I, I don't have my booster yet, unfortunately, but, you know, I've heard from people that it is not being registered, you know, that they are getting their booster vaccine. So, um, yeah, you know, a, sometime the conversation will have to be had, you know, h- how that will actually be done. And when it comes to um, supports, um, these financial supports which were given to businesses, um, we were hearing for a number of days from the Thonish in particular that these needed to be targeted measures. Um, and then when the announcement was made, the government said it was going to be too complicated and possibly too costly and certainly too long. Mm. So therefore, they were just going to go back to the general measure, which was elongating the November rate of EWIS. The initial response from companies has been fairly positive. Um, is that going to be enough, would you say, irrespective of what Mairead Farrell was saying there, that the government could have had a, a better response if it had its house in order? Yeah, I think it's just an example how the government in oftentimes during this pandemic is really operating in, in real time. Like they did not really have a huge amount of time to prepare for these restrictions coming in. So once they did come in, they had to sort of react in putting in place supports for businesses. And as you said, it was um, put out there by Leo Varadkar and others suggesting that these supports had to be really, really targeted. And that is why the wage subsidy scheme wasn't the one that was required here. But then, of course, they had to do the opposite. The 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 uh, hospitality sector seemed to be quite happy with this in the sense that that was what they had been asking for before the restrictions came in and after the restrictions came in. They wanted the focus on the EWSS because they said it kept a link to their staff and, you know, they could be kept on the books, you know, for the duration that they might have been out of work. So um, I think they'll be happy with that. The, 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 the point of contention and the only one it seems to be now is the longer term supports for the hospitality sector. So this is something that, you know, would have to be hap- worked on in the longer term, the um, Restaurants Association of Ireland, the Vineyards Federation, um, they're all saying we need a long term plan because as you go into the next couple of months of next year, yeah. particularly when January is going to be so much quieter for these businesses compared to uh, Christmas, you know, how do they survive and what's going to be put there to make sure that b- businesses don't start closing down and there isn't a wave of closures happening in 2022. Okay, Mary's going to stay with us. And we're just joined now by um, David Murphy, our political coverage editor. David, um, one of the big stories today was the question of inflation and how inflation is being driven by those higher energy prices. Can you tell me where things currently stand? Yeah, it's really interesting because what we've seen today, Paul, is inflation is at 5.3%. Now, that's the largest annual change since 2001. And if you bear in mind, the guidance from the European Central Bank is what they really like to see across uh, the Eurozone is inflation around the 2% mark. So now we're way off that. And um, every month when the inflation figures are published by the Central Statistics Office, there's a breakdown and you can drill down into that breakdown and get an idea of what are the key things 
driving things. And you can see that over the past 12 months, electricity is up 21%, gas is up 26%, petrol is up 26%, diesel is up 29%, and airfares have shot up an awful lot. Um, but that's in comparison to a period when there was very little travel going on. But then, apart from the energy prices, it's actually rents are up 7% over the past year, despite the efforts of the government to keep a lid on that. And mortgage interest is up 3.2%. And over the past few years, we've seen things like um, clothing and footwear, you know, showing very, very small increases or even decreases. But that's actually up as well. We're seeing um, clothing and footwear up about 3%. But from the government's point of view, the, the point that they have been making again and again is that this has been driven by... Uh, higher energy costs um, internationally, and that's been feeding through to the prices in Ireland. But obviously, the opposition look at things differently, and they say, well, look, you've just um, introduced uh, an increase to the carbon tax, and that's fed into it. And obviously, there are taxes on top of it all. For instance, VAT. Some countries have looked at uh, reducing VAT to make things a little bit easier for consumers. But I think it's going to become a very hot political topic, even more so now since these figures have come out today. Can you tell us something about the European context, not necessarily on the international gas prices, which I think everyone acknowledges, but just on what the European response will be? Ireland is one member state of many. So when it comes to the European Central Bank, which sets interest rates and interest rates often sort of deal with inflation, where is the ECB and therefore could Ireland benefit as a result of ECB action? Or is ECB going to look at it and say, well, inflation's a problem in Ireland, but not elsewhere, so therefore you're just stuck with it? Well, the ECB basically, in terms of dealing with inflation, only has one tool in its box, usually, and that is simply to increase interest rates. But at the moment, they've got interest rates on the floor in order to stimulate the European economy because of the pandemic. The um, chief economist in the European Central Bank is our own Philip Lane, who was head of the Central Bank here. Professor, excuse me. Professor Philip Lane um, from Trinity College. And he, he's made a few comments about this. And he has said that the spike in energy prices is something that is going to essentially uh, pass through the system. And it's, it's going to be a short <coughs> burst of inflation. And then uh, we'll get over it. But now this is Coming to this, it's beginning to look as if it may be somewhat more persistent. So that policy of leaving interest rates on the floor and also injecting money into the system to help with economic growth, it looks as if they may have to review that if these levels of inflation persist because uh, inflation like we have here at 5.3%, you cannot really sit back and just let that increase. I suppose the other thing is be careful what you ask for. If it's the case that the ECB does up its interest rates, um, you could also end up paying more for your mortgage. You could pay more for your mortgage and therefore consumers could be in a real pincer movement where on the one hand, they're paying more for their energy prices and then on the other hand, they're paying more for their mortgage. And this is why you'll have seen a particular emphasis on people to uh, go for fixed interest rate mortgages, which effectively would insulate them against that. But it's going to be very difficult. And I think there's going to be a lot of political pressure. And in today in the Doyle, we saw the Tánaiste Leo Varadkar indicating that the government will provide financial support to households 
facing rising energy bills in the new year. And he said there'd be a particular focus on electricity because this is a bill that everyone gets. But he hasn't given any further detail on that. And I think there'll be a lot of interest to see exactly what those steps are and how far they will go, because the government will have to go quite far on this in order to offset those higher energy prices. That's David Murphy, our political coverage editor. Thanks, David. Back to you, Mary Regan. Um, How much of a, a problem is this going to be? You could see certainly from Sinn Féin's point of view, they've come back to it again and again. Richard O'Donoghue, the independent uh, TD, also uh, making a campaign. We've got protesters arriving on the door. This one looks as if it's building. Yeah, and I think you're seeing increasingly now Sinn Féin raising this and in many ways reflecting concerns that are strongly held out there amongst the electorate. Um, But it's interestingly interest politically speaking if you look at what's happening in Europe and Pierce Doherty did point out to the measures being taken by a number of other European countries uh, today and he, he is right that governments in those countries are addressing it but there is a political consideration here too and that is because many of those countries are concerned well some of them like France have an election not too far away but other countries more generally speaking there are concerns now that while uh, you know, the latest sort of spike in, in energy costs, while, you know, the underlying re- reasons for that might be complex. And while they're bringing in measures to sort of see their populations through this latest spike, they're concerned that in the longer term, it might feed into uh, some obstruction to their efforts to move longer term to cleaner energy. And they know that if there is a sort of backlash against energy costs now, that is something that could build and could ultimately, when they make that transition uh, and do make efforts to decarbonise, it is something that could scupper those efforts. So they want to get a handle off it now so that they make the next uh, phase, as it were, easier and an easier transition and to avoid sort of populist backlash as they would see it against uh, against measures to re- reduce carbon, which in some in some cases involve new taxes. Yeah, that issue did come up at the parliamentary party meetings. So interestingly, from a Fianna Fáil point of view, the Taoiseach with Eamon Ryan in attendance, he said the two leaders are working together to ensure that they're going to reach their target goals mm-hmm. on reducing emissions. And we'll find out more about that when we get the detail of the Climate Action Plan next year, when those sectoral ceilings on emissions are going to be placed. But um, just one last question. Next week... Um, once again, it's going to be busy. Is there anything you're particularly looking out for? Because after that, the TDs are going to wrap up for Christmas. Well, there's always such a flurry of activity as they try to, uh, you know, clear the decks ahead of the Christmas holidays. Uh, we know that last Christmas, you know, things politically ran very, very close to the wire. They were nearly right into Christmas Eve. I think next week we will see clear indications now of what this Omicron variant means, what it means for further restrictions, what it means more generally. And there's also, um, on a completely separate point, we see uh, an issue potentially brewing here. Alan Kelly raising it in the doll earlier about about this review of the legislation around abortions. And, you know, as he, Alan Kelly would see it, he's saying that the uh, that the Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, is carrying out a review of the operations of the law only. And he's claiming that that's being done for political reasons because many Fianna Fáil TDs were opposed to that legislation in the first place. Uh, and Leo Vradka responding to him earlier saying that it was his understanding that the legislation itself would be reviewed. So there are two separate positions now, I think, emerging from Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, and the Tonish, the Leo Vradka. It would be interesting to see if that goes anywhere in the time ahead. Yeah, but the other only one I other one I would have is just don't forget the person in the park the president of Ireland 
Ireland, possibly the most popular person in Ireland, had already given a warning to the Count Corla that he didn't want to see a million bills arriving in on the last week of the Leinster House sitting, which didn't give him enough time to uh, correctly um, assess That's the legislation. Mm-hmm. And you don't get the sense that they've really been taking an awful lot of cognizance of what the president had to say. No, and he might have a, a, a busy run up to the uh, to, to, to Christmas himself. He'll you know, have deserved his, his, he'll have deserved his, his Christmas cake. Yeah. Mary Regan, thank you very much for joining us. And earlier, David Murphy, our political coverage editor. And of course, Emraid Farrell, the uh, Galway TD for Sinn Féin and their public expenditure spokesperson. That's all we have for you um, today. Please do um, subscribe to the podcast. Please do leave a comment. And until next week, take care. 